Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Uh, Luke chapter 6, 43 through the very end of the chapter. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip on over there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some around here in the front and the back there. Um, you can grab one on your way out uh, to bring home. If you don't have one back at home, we'll put the scripture up on the screen for you. We're pressing forward through our journey uh, through the gospel according to Luke uh, on the man, the message, the mission of Jesus. And today we finish out what's known as the Sermon on the Plain. And my job today as a preacher is impossible because I'm preaching Jesus' sermon. Right, so you've seen the movie Inception about dreams within a dream. Today you get a sermon within a sermon. <laughs> Mind blown, right? This is incredible. And uh, deep, deep stuff, right? Not really. It's not very deep today. Here Jesus is going to give us two of his most simple parables. I just, I love these parables. And I just want to show you right out of the gate, let's just jump right in, how simple uh, these are. And so read with me Luke chapter 6, uh, 43 through 45. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is really good stuff, but very simple. Do you get it? You get it. It's, it's pretty simple. It, the illustration is trees and fruit. Now, as an aside, I've always been intrigued with trees in the Bible. Have you ever noticed how many trees make their way into the Scripture? The Bible opens with a tree. The Bible closes with a tree that's producing amazing fruit. And all through the Bible, we just see trees. The, the great book of Psalms begins with a tree planted by streams of water. There's all kinds of tree stories. Maybe your mind is identifying with one of the many tree stories. And of course, uh, it's said that our Savior was nailed to a tree. And so there's all kinds of trees. And, and here, Jesus illustrates his point again with a, a, a tree, a very simple illustration. You know, the, you know the old saying that goes, we're comparing apples to oranges? Apples to, to oranges. What that means is we're comparing two completely different things. Well, that's where Jesus is going. It's very simple, and so I just want to give you a, a, a quiz. Can I give you a quiz? You're thinking, I'm not coming to school. This is church, but I want to give you a quiz this morning, and I think everybody can pass it, even if you went to one of the UMass schools, and so I'm just kidding. I said that because I know we have a number of them here. Uh, here's your quiz. Uh, question number one, I'm going to give you two. Question number one is, what kind of fruit does an apple tree bear? Apples. <laughs> Somebody was smart. Apples. Question number two. This will be a multiple choice for you. If you have an apple tree, but you want oranges, what should you do? I'm going to give you multiple choice here. A, tell the apple tree you need to work really, really hard to make oranges. No, that wouldn't work. Okay, so here's option B. You make the apple tree feel really, really bad for not producing oranges. You guilt it. You shame it until out of guilt it starts to pop out oranges. Will that work? No. Okay, so no, number, number three, you, you go to the grocery store. This is C. And you buy some oranges. 
You take the apples off the apple tree, you pin the oranges to, or pin the oranges to the apple tree, and then you now have oranges. Will that work? No, it's, it's ridiculous. Or, here's D, you plant an orange tree, and you let the orange tree start to produce oranges in time, naturally. The obvious answer is B. Just kidding. The obvious answer is, is D. You need a new tree. That's what Jesus is saying here. You need a new tree. It's very simple. It's very obvious. But for some reason, we in our country can't seem to get this. We can't seem to wrap our minds around this. We can't seem to, to understand this. Now, here's where he's going, Jesus. And it's going to make some people angry. You love it when a preacher says that. This might tick you off, but I'm going to say it anyway. So here we go. This will sting maybe a little bit, maybe for some of you a lot, but I believe it's like a surgeon's scalpel that it cuts it first, but the goal is healing. The goal is restoration. The Bible's self-declaration about itself in Hebrews chapter 4 is that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it pierces at times. And so here we go. Let's brace for the pierce. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Good people produce good, and evil people produce evil. Now, if you start to think about that, that kind of hurts a little bit. Because we live in pluralistic, everybody is right, Boston. 24 Farnsworth Street, Boston is the headquarters of the Unitarian Universalist Church. We want everybody to be good and no one to be evil. We want everybody to be right. But I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't make any room for this very comfortable option. But here's what we need. We need the Bible option, which is not comfortable, but I believe it's a better option because it stings at first, but then it heals. It heals this deep infection within our souls. It heals this deep frustration that I believe all of us feel. And so, you need a new tree. Can you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. You need a new tree. You have an apple tree and you want oranges. You need a new tree. Let's set that aside. More on that in a minute. Understand that we are now at the very end, at the end of Luke chapter 6, at the very end of one of Jesus' most amazing sermons. And here's what he's been doing. He, he's been doing something really, really cool. He, he's describing for us and for the hearers in that day what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Because the people he's speaking to are, are Jewish people. They are oppressed by Rome. They are impoverished because of the Roman uh, Empire taxing them uh, terribly. They have their most holy of holy cities. This amazing city of Jerusalem is now occupied sacrilegiously by Roman rulers. And they are just completely oppressed. They are completely frustrated. And their only hope is this Old Testament prophet in their Bible. This Old Testament prophecy about this Messiah, about this Savior who's going to come. We know that that would be Jesus, that it's God coming into humanity to rescue us, to rescue them as well, to be their king. And one of the great themes of the book of Luke is the kingdom of God. And in this sermon, Jesus has been describing for us, giving us just his first tastes of what the kingdom of God 
will look like. Now, for these people in that day and age, they're expecting Jesus to be their political, their military hero. But their thinking was so short-sighted, their thinking was, was so limited that Jesus' kingdom had no historical span. It's now, yes, but it's also going to be eternal. Jesus' kingdom had no geographical border. It was going to be international and heavenly. Jesus' kingdom had no race. It had no lineage. It had no bloodline except for the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross. That's what ties us together. We all trust in the blood of Jesus so we can be completely different in different skin colors and even different languages and from different places and yet be deeply united because of Jesus. There was no common language other than the language of love. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And his kingdom is completely different than any of them would have expected. But his kingdom is exactly what we need. And as he gets into this sermon throughout Luke chapter 6, it's just completely, utterly shocking because it is is so counter-cultural. It's just completely crazy. And so, so far through this sermon, we've looked at uh, crazy values. We've looked at crazy love. We've looked at this crazy community that it will birth. And so let's just review some of these things together if we can. Just think back with me through the sermon. If you have a Bible open, you can look back through the verses uh, preceding where we're at today. Uh, We talked about crazy values. So verse uh, 20, crazy values, his, his kingdom people, their crazy values would, would create a, a counterculture where we don't pursue the wealth of the world, we pursue eternal treasure. If you look back to verse 21, this counterculture would be birth where uh, physical hunger is overshadowed by our deep spiritual hunger and longing to grow in the Lord. Let me just brag on uh, Kevin this morning, if I can do that. Um, Kevin, our worship uh, director, has just been amazing. And I've just, his heart just really came out this morning. A lot of stuff that you guys don't get to see. And he hates that I'm doing this right now. But just for me this morning, the, I know the worship team would echo this. It just it was so clear that he just had this deep hunger this morning just to, to, to be in the presence of God. And, and, and in the kingdom of God, it's this counterculture where we almost hunger more than we hunger for food, for the things of the, the Lord. Verse 20, 21, we have this counterculture that would be born that in the middle of our trials and our difficulties, in the middle of our, our, our tears, we have hope because of our confidence uh, in the joy uh, of the Lord that we have here and eternity with, with him. Verse 22, if you look back there, it creates this counterculture where we're not stopped because we're mocked for our faith because we don't need the approval of man. We want the approval of God alone. Those are some crazy values, right? We've talked about this is just some crazy countercultural values that we're, uh, we're valuing heavenly wealth. We're, we're valuing heavenly hunger. We're valuing heavenly hope. We're, we're valuing heavenly approval. That's what he's making us to be. If we're on the right trajectory, that's where you are going. So look back through the span of your life from when you gave your life to Christ. Is that trajectory the trajectory of your life? Crazy values. And then on Easter Sunday, if you remember, we talked about crazy love. That there's this crazy love for, for people who are of the kingdom of God that included, look at verse 27, a love of enemies and a love of those who are hard to love. Uh, verse 28 includes a love for those who speak badly of you. That's kind of crazy. Oh, no, she did not just say that. Or do you say, you know what? I have the approval of God. I'm still going to love them regardless. Verse 28 and 29, a love for those who abuse you. 
Verse 29, a love for those who steal from you, where you don't even expect them to pay you back. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. He died for us on the cross, and he didn't expect us to pay him back. He said, no, this is a a free gift. This isn't a reward that you earn. And and so we can have this crazy love. And then last week, uh, Pastor Ryan walked us through verse 37. Jesus demands us to be this non-judgmental, forgiving kind of kingdom, kind of community. These are crazy commands that Jesus has given us all throughout this sermon on the plain. Now let me ask you, Turn it in on ourselves for a minute. How's that working out for you? Look through the trajectory of your life. How is that working out for you? Could you be described as a person who has a disregard for the wealth of the world? Where your hands are just open, just as I can give, as God has granted me, I'll I'll give in proportion to what he's given me? Are you described by a deep spiritual hunger that just keeps Growing? Are you described by uh, uh, this strange heavenly hope in the midst of pain, a peace that passes all understanding, as Philippians chapter 4 will say? Could you be described by uh, just a deep concern for heavenly approval and not so much the approval of man? You don't have the fear of man, you have the fear of God. Could you be described by a, a love for all people, regardless of their actions towards you, regardless of their history, a love for all people, regardless of their thoughts towards you. Could you be be described by extending to people this unconditional love and this forgiveness even though they take from you? Could you be described as a person who's completely non-judgmental and forgiving? How is that working out for you, the sermon that Jesus has given us here? Crazy, crazy commands. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Oh, I would love to be a part of that kind of community. But at the same time, when you say, okay, how do I shape that kind of community? It sounds impossible, right? Just, I mean, just impossible. Because that is just so unnatural for us. It's actually natural for us in our flesh, in our current state of humanity, to do the exact opposite of these things. Pursue wealth, right? Survival of the fittest. Let's climb and let's take care of myself and my, my family. Let's hunger. Let's, let's feed our bellies. Let's, in the midst of tears, just why is this happening to me? And be mad and shout. Uh, to, to seek the approval of other people. That's just natural for every single one of us. To love those people who love me. To love my wife when she's really good at loving me, but struggle with it when she's not loving me as I think she should or to retaliate when people wrong me that's natural you feeling that that that's natural so let's go back to our multiple choice question about the fruit tree so what do we do then i'm an apple tree i naturally produce apples but i want to produce oranges i want to produce something that is just unnatural for me in my flesh to produce so what do we do a We try harder. B, we let the the guilt and the the shame that we feel because of it, because of our inability to produce, come upon us, and hopefully that guilt and shame is going to change our behavior. Or or C, we, we fake it until we make it. Or D, we just plant a new tree. The answer is D. We need a new tree. We need new life. But far 
too often Christian spiritual growth and Christian preaching and teaching is A, B, and C, isn't it? It is. It's what I call the preacher's dilemma. I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not stretching it. Every single week, I feel the preacher's dilemma. And that is, how could I possibly stand before these people and call them to live this way when I know they can't? You can't live out the Bible in and of yourself. Otherwise, you're an apple tree trying to produce oranges. The only way to live out the Bible is if you become D, a new tree. You pass from death to life. You're born again. Your citizenship switches from the kingdom of earth into the kingdom of heaven. All this language. It's the preacher's dilemma that I feel every single week that I've got to call people to action. But yet they can't do it at the same time. What do I do? Just get up every single week and just say, hey, you need Jesus because you stink. See you later. Do I do that every week? It's a great dilemma in my soul. That's why every single week we end with, if you don't have Jesus, everything that I've said is pointless. It's just effort. And so let's review these options one more time and think about it in your own life. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, how does this play out for you? A, we can preach and we can teach and you can tell yourself over and over and over again, come on, just do it. Just get it together. Just, just change. And, and, and maybe on a Sunday you would leave resolved to be better, to live better, to, to love better, to stop that behavior, to, to, to work harder. But so often no lasting change happens. Or, like Jesus' famous parable of the soils, you remember that with the different kinds of soils? In one instance, he says that sometimes change seems to happen and something starts to, to sprout up quickly. I have a number of people like this in my life. I just think back through my, my life of just faith and, and sharing Christ with, with people. I go back to high school, and I've told some of you before, we just saw this amazing, closest thing to a, a, a biblical revival that I could describe happened in my high school because the four of us guys just got together and prayed and God just moved. One of the history uh, lessons that I've learned as I've studied the Bible is the great revivals of history have two things in common, prayer and young people. So college students, don't wait till you graduate college and, quote, grow up to really get serious. Now, now. And so in my high school, I saw lots of people come to faith and I look back and many of them are all Doing, many of them are just doing amazing things. The four who were praying together are all pastors now. But then there are many who, we saw some growth, we saw some tears, and now they're, they're gone. I want to live for Jesus, but they're, they're gone now. They're not living for Jesus. And I think back through my, my college years, and in the summers I went back home to Atlanta, and we started this camp for kids in the hood, essentially. We saw a lot of kids, and we saw a lot of parents give their lives to, to Jesus and I look back, some are walking with the Lord, some are not walking with the Lord anymore. I think back to my early New England years, a little over a decade ago in Central Mass and just the ministry there and lots of people. It was the fastest growing church in New England at the time. Lots of people just giving their lives to Jesus. And there's a number of them who aren't walking with Jesus any longer. 
or I think even to our time here in Boston, a number of people profess faith in Jesus. And we're always very cautious to say people have professed faith in Jesus because only time will tell who really gave their lives to Jesus and Jesus really gripped their, their heart because many of them, their faith vanished. Why? Because it wasn't faith in Jesus. It was personal resolve. And there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a really big difference. Personal resolve is not faith in Jesus. It's faith in self. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try harder. Then you'll find that that just doesn't, doesn't work. Now, in light of those who have faded, and you have them in your own lives as well, I would imagine, family members, friends, seemed like there was great zeal and great fervor, and they were changed at first, but then it, it's like they got trampled by the things of the world, like Jesus says in his parable. In light of that, do we stop planting seeds? Do we stop scattering seeds? No, why? Because some will take root. I love the, the story with Paul at the Areopagus and he's talking to these highly intellectual people about Jesus. And you remember what happens? At the very end of it, some said, no thanks. Others said, let's talk again sometime. And others believed. Does he leave discouraged because two-thirds of them are gone? No, he leaves encouraged because one-third of them believed. And so do we stop planting the seeds? Absolutely not. We keep going. We keep going. Think about my, my yard. I have this little yard in uh, West Roxbury, and I think about my yard, and we're at that season right now where these little shoots are popping up through the grass, you know, longer than the grass, and they look like, oh, that's kind of nice. It could maybe be a tree. I don't know. I don't have any trees, and I would like a tree. But time will tell what's going to grow and be strong and be a, a, a tree, right? So, same is true for those who profess Jesus. Time will tell. Time will tell if they're legit. Is it just quick change, quick resolve, or is it this lasting, deep change that happens because Jesus has gripped you? Here's the option B, is to just pile on the guilt. Anybody ever felt that? Just the guilt is piled on. Why can't you get it together? I'm preaching at you every single stinking week, the same thing. Get your act together, right? You keep doing the same old things, Look at everybody else. They're changing. Why aren't you changing? You should be ashamed of yourself. Guilt, shame. Now, I've noticed one thing in my eight years of, of parenting. I know I can't stand on the other side and say, here's how you successfully raise teenagers. But I have an eight-year-old and uh, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. So here's one thing that I have learned by the grace of God. And that is that guilt and shame does not produce change. I mean, it just doesn't produce change. For me, I found that it just perpetuates the problem. Because shame causes what they did to become their identity. You are such a troublemaker. Guess I'm a troublemaker. So I'll be a troublemaker. That's who I am. You're a rebel. Yeah. Okay, I'm a rebel. I'll be a rebel. With an attitude. Do you see the problem there? The other option is to show them what can be. See the big difference? Here's who you can be. Let me tell you what God can do, what God wants to do with your life. Here's what could be. That's what Jesus did with his disciples, didn't he? He finds them on the shore, the first four, and they're fishing. He says, yeah, eh, that's kind of a lame job. But how about instead of these things flapping around in the water, how about 
you catch a lot of men and women who are going to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus does. Or when he looks at Peter, I love, love this. This is one of my favorite occasions in the Bible when he, he first meets Peter because Peter's brother Andrew says, you've got to meet this Jesus guy. He's crazy. He's telling me all this stuff and it's just, it's like nobody's ever known me like this. It's amazing. And so Peter says, okay, I think this could be the Messiah. He goes and he meets Jesus and what does Jesus say? Jesus looks at him and he says, yep, you are Simon because that was his, his given name and then Jesus later changes his name to to Peter, he says, yep, that's right. You're Simon. But you shall be called what? Peter. What does Simon mean? Wishy-washy. Simon, literally, it meant wishy-washy or vacillating. He says, yep, that's you. You just back and forth and you just can't get your act together. Put your foot in your Yeah, that's you. But you shall be called Peter, which means rock. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus does. He doesn't say, you are such an imbecile. Simon, Simon, wishy-washy. No, he says, I got a better plan. You were going to be rock. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be stable. And he journeys with him for a few years, and he has proven his name to be true, right? And then the Holy Spirit fills him up. God births new life inside of him. And then what happens? The rock happens. He becomes the rock. I want you to know right now that God has a better plan for you than you could imagine for yourself. Don't let your past define you. Let what the Bible says about your future define you. Dream with the imagination of the Holy Spirit of what could be if God made you a new tree. Guilt and shame isn't going to work. Maybe you're guilting yourself. Maybe it's not coming from outside sources, but we just guilt ourselves. I am a loser. I mess up. I'm just such a failure over and over and over again. Listen, hear God's imagination for your life. Because guilt and shame is not going to produce oranges. It's just not. Here's option C. We fake it till we make it. Anybody? Come on. I've definitely done it. I remember being a teenager and I grew up in this really straight-laced Baptist church. And then I started going around these non-Baptist people who were doing this in worship. I'm like, it's not me, but okay. And I started doing it, you know? And there was a girl that I liked who was doing it too, so that didn't hurt. Listen, you can fake it, and you can start to do the things that seem appropriate, and you're pinning oranges onto your apple tree. I guess I'm supposed to do this. But you know what? That just doesn't work, does it? How about, not I guess I'm supposed to do this. How about, I cannot help but do this. It's just an overflow. Think about the occasions in the scriptures where it talks about just this overflow. My cup runneth over. Where this happens just because you just can't help but praise the Lord, where holiness happens because you just love the Lord and you just want to honor him with your life. That's how it's supposed to be. Now listen, faking it might seem like the appropriate thing to do, but you're going to find that that just gets incredibly exhausting, doesn't it? Got to go to the grocery store, got to buy some oranges, got to bring the oranges home, 
Got to peel off the sticker <laughs> on every single orange. Somehow I got to figure out how to hook it to the tree. And that's kind of that's challenging. And then they're going to start to dry out and, and shrivel up unless we put those natural preservatives that the kids do in school, you know, around Christmas time. They poke with their oranges. And then, but then it wouldn't be obviously natural. And so they're going to shrivel up. And so I got to go get new oranges and put them back on the tree, take the stickers off. It's just a cycle. Faking it in your faith is just this awful cycle. It is exhausting. We call that religion. Or we just try to earn God's favor. We try to be good enough. We do a lot of stuff because I'm supposed to do it instead of, I can't help but do this. It just flows out of my heart. It's natural. It's just springing up from within me. He has made me alive. He has made me a new creation. I just can't help it. Do you think if you fake it long enough, you're just going to turn into an orange tree? But yet we do that too, don't we? Sometimes we lie so much that we believe the lie. Sometimes we fool ourselves so well that we believe what we initially knew was not really natural, wasn't really us. Don't fake it till you make it because you're not doing yourself any favors and you certainly aren't fooling God. And He's the one that really matters what he knows about you. So get real with yourself. I'd encourage you to get real with God. Plead with God like King David to change my heart. Make it pure. Make it new. Renew me. And when he does that in you, then you become a tree that produces lasting, eternal fruit. And, and, and here's, here's where I want to round third base. Many of you in your own life, you can identify this change in your heart. You can say, I can look back and there was this day, this moment, or this season where God just started to grip me and my desires started to change. Some of you, you can identify that, I would imagine. And now it just naturally flows out of my heart. Not that I don't ever mess up or or produce some rotten oranges, but it's just more natural for me now because it's just deep within my heart. That's some of you, you can identify that. But it doesn't mean that this sermon does not apply to you. It applies to you on so many levels. One way is that you can use these multiple choice questions to diagnose the people in your life who you're trying to share Christ with. Anybody? I hope so. I hope you have people in your life that you're trying to impact, you're trying to share Christ with. And you can use the multiple choices to diagnose what's going on in them. It may be a friend, it may be a family member, it may be a neighbor, it may be a spouse, it may be your own children. Hear me, all of us, This is very important. Do not be satisfied with external change until you are convinced of internal change. Can I say that again? Do not be satisfied with the external change. It looks like there's fruit until you are convinced of internal change. I love Proverbs chapter 23. It's this parenting proverb. And so if you're a parent, you've got to read this. You've got to study it. You've even got to memorize parts of it. It's so huge. The writer who writes this proverb is talking about his son. And he's telling his son about wisdom. He's telling his son about substance abuse. He's talking to his son about the birds and the bees. Specifically, he gets into talking about prostitutes. I believe that if that was written in modern day, he'd be talking to his son about porn. 
And he gets into all of this. And the key phrase in that Proverbs is Proverbs 23, verse 26, which reads, My son, give me your heart. He doesn't say, my son, give me your behavior. Straighten it up. He says, my son, give me your heart. So parents, that's what you're going after is your kid's heart. Many of you in here, you're not parents. And listen, it does not mean that you are out from under this. Think about what Jesus does, what the Apostle Paul does as he refers. They both refer to people within their ministries who have given their lives to Christ as their children in the faith. So we should all have spiritual children. And so we should all be going after the heart of our spiritual children. Not their behavior, after their heart. Mind the depths of their hearts. You should be a studier of the hearts of your children, your disciples, the people that you're, you're, you're pouring into. Are they changing to impress you? Are they changing for your approval? Are they changing for some reward, or in my kid's case, to not be disciplined? Or are they changing because it's just this overflow of their heart? We all have to ask ourselves that question. Why am I changing? Is it because I like this community? I like these people and I just want to change and be like them. It seems like a better way of life. It seems like it's a good family support provider and so I think that's what I'll do. Or are you changed and being changed because of what God has done in your heart? Listen, you don't want the first two-thirds of this sermon in chapter 6 without the last third. You don't. Look back to Luke chapter 6, verse 43. There's a very important word there. It's the word for. F-O-R. Gar in the Greek. So to bring you back to elementary school grammar, this is called a conjunction. Anybody? Are you singing a song in your head right now? Maybe you watched the video Sung the song, conjunction, junction, what's your function, right? I love that song as a kid. What does a conjunction do? It connects two statements, two teachings together. And that word for is so important that these two are connected. We can't change the world. We can't be this countercultural kind of kingdom that he's shaping us to be without having been changed ourselves, without becoming a new tree. The base assumption is that we are all bad trees. That's where it cuts again. We're all bad trees. We're not just producing eh, one bad apple. We're producing a lot of bad apples. And even your best apples that you're producing are tainted with this deep sin sickness of self-righteousness and thinking that I'm doing something to earn God's favor. Doesn't that sting a little bit? But you need the sting because the sting leads to life. Even your best efforts are tainted virus of pride and self-righteousness. And our fruit is, is poisonous. But here's what we need. We need the four. We need the, we can do this. We can live this way if God makes us a new tree, a new creation, as 1 Corinthians talks about. Through Jesus, through trusting in him, he gives us new life. Not self-reliance, but Jesus-reliance. That's where lasting change is going to come from. Are you tired, Christian, of 
trying to live this life that you know you're supposed to live, but it's just exhausting and you're not doing it naturally. We come to God with our hands open and we say, God, please change me. Continue to change me. Renew me as you tell us in your word that you want to do. And that will lead to deep change. That will lead to spiritual reformation in your heart. Now, one last little parable that he gives us, and I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to talk too much about it. But he says this. It's this famous parable about building your house on a rock or a good foundation. A little different in Matthew when this is given. But he's saying, listen, you want to stand the test of time. You want to be the Christian who your house doesn't crumble and fall when the storm comes against it. You don't want to be that little sapling that grew up and then got smashed. Here's where it comes from. You let God make you new. Don't try to make yourself new. Don't try to produce fruit that only God can produce from within you. So let's just read it. Here's how you stand the test of time. God makes you new. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. I pray that this would not be us, but that we would be the one built on a rock, that we would be the one that lasts because our new life has been brought about by the work of Jesus and not our own work. Can we pray? Close your eyes. I want to call you to respond while your eyes are closed. It's very simply, I just want to have you close your eyes, not because there's anything necessarily super spiritual about closing your eyes, but simply just gets distractions out of the way. And some of you right now, you just, you're recognizing that maybe A, B, or C has been descriptive of you. And some of you just need to ask Jesus for, for new life today. You need to say, Jesus, I recognize what you have done for me in your perfect life on earth, undeserving of death, but you died on the cross. You were buried and you resurrected, proving that you are victorious over death and you are the author of life. And I want you to give me life that though I die, yet I shall live forever with you. I turn from my sin, I turn to you. No magic words, but in the best way that you know how, as we sing and as we respond, I would encourage you to pray to God and say, God, make me new. I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning to you, I'm trusting in you, I'm putting my faith in you, not in my bad apples. And others of you, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've kind of drifted back into seeking to produce fruit out of your own strength. Repent of that, confess it to God. And then ask him to purify your heart. Some of you, you look around, you look at other people and they're producing fruit faster than you are. Not a lot of rhyme or reason there. Plants produce fruit at different rates. Don't be discouraged by slow growth. 
because slow growth is better than no growth. So look back at the wins. Look back at what God has done and how he has changed you. Be encouraged. Don't be shamed. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to encourage you. Be encouraged this morning that though we struggle, though we mess up, he is our hope. He changes us from the inside out and continues to change us. God, do your work in our hearts as we respond in this moment. We love you and we thank you. And we just give our hearts over to you in this time. Do your work. Some people need to give their lives to you. Other people need to just recommit their lives to you. Others in here, they're thinking about somebody else. And they just so want to see them walk with Jesus. Help them to look at the heart and not just the external behaviors that can be deceiving. We commit these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.